Our first scripture reading this morning comes from a letter which is attributed to Paul, but might be written by one of his followers, to Timothy. And you might notice if you're listening that it's a sermon in and of itself. It tells you what to do and how to live, and it's a whole worship service. There's a passage in here that is a prayer or possibly a hymn of praise. It is worship contained in one scripture reading. Let us listen for the word of God. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, people of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and for which you make the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who is his testimony before Pontius Pilate, make the good confession, I charge you, to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the right time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. It seems like there might be nothing more to say here except to respond again with the songs we have already been singing. Wait and see what a world there can be if we share. Wait and see what a world. And do you let the light in and do you let the light out? And along with this passage... We're following along through the Gospel of Luke working through connected passages that I think might read a little bit like an Emily Post dinner guide for followers of Jesus. Christianity 101. Where do you sit at a party? Do you remember that one? Who can be on your guest list? How do you behave when you get there? How can you live in such a way that you might be invited to even more parties? It might sound trivial, But do you remember throughout all of these scriptures we've been wrestling with, it's as though God is throwing a banquet party and you are invited. 
but these are the things that Jesus knows you need to know if we're going to live in community together, if we're all going to enjoy the celebration. For our chapter today, we have another such parable, which illustrates the way, the way we are supposed to live together. I invite you this morning to open up your pew Bible, which you will find in the, on the little shelf in front of you, and I want you to look at this gospel lesson as we read it together. It's in the Gospel of Luke in the 16th chapter, beginning in the 19th verse. If it's been a while since you've cracked open a Bible, you find the New Testament by flipping to about three-quarters of the way through, and then you will see Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you get to John, you've gone too far. Raise, raise your hand if you find Luke, and then Luke in the 16th chapter, beginning with the 19th verse. If you have it, say amen. So what I'm going to do after I read this passage is in the same way that liturgy is the work of the people, I'm going to be coming around to ask you for a word or a phrase that jumps out at you as we're reading. And some of us learn better by listening, some of us learn better by seeing or reading, so you can read along and listen for that word or phrase that jumps out at you. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the reflecting on God's holy word. So this is a practice of Lectio Divina. We could just say these scriptures are so self-explanatory that we could just close the book and say, any questions? No? We got it? Rich man goes to heaven? Nope. Rich man didn't share, goes to hell. Poor man goes to heaven. Great chasm. All done. Close the book and be done. But I believe that scripture always has more to tell us than we get at first glance. And I believe the best way we uncover it 
is to listen to one another. So I'm going to come around and hand you the microphone and ask you what you heard. What word, what phrase jumped out to you? What do you, what do you make of this? The 815 got an A plus, five gold stars, so just so you know. Yes. Wow, choir? I knew I could count on you. Um, I heard that, like, once you, there's no shot at redemption. Once you've screwed up and you're in hell, yes. you're never getting back. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, let's circle back to that. Yeah, I hear that too. What do you hear? You can look at it again. Oh, even just a word. I, I thought the end where, you know, if they didn't hear Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone rising from the dead. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, I taught vacation Bible school a few summers, and there's a song, Father Abraham. Yes. Had many kids, many kids had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Yes, yes he's calling on Father Abraham, like calling on that, you know, one big human family idea, which he didn't, he didn't live by, right? So the irony that then he's calling on Father Abraham. Oh, come on, friends. There's no wrong answer. <laughs> wow, all right. Well, fortunately, through the wonders of technology, I got to read a sermon that one of our neighbors down the street at Saugatuck Congregational Church preached a number of years ago, uh, Reverend Allison, and she pointed out something that I had missed. It's this personality of the rich man. Did you notice that he doesn't say, Father Abraham, bring me over to you? He says, send Lazarus. He knows his name but he still thinks of him as a servant, as someone who should serve him. Not, not help me, save me, get me out of this, but make this person wait on me. He's beneath me. And then even with his brothers, not let me go and tell them so that they will change their living, but send Lazarus to tell my brothers. His sense of entitlement remains even as he is burning in the flames. Another thing that another person pointed out is that Lazarus is the only person who has a name in any of Jesus's parables. The rich man doesn't have a name, but Lazarus does. It shows the intimacy with which Jesus cares about this beggar who is on the street. Another person pointed out that the rich man must have walked by him at least twice a day, leaving his home and coming back, just walked right by him while somebody starved on the other side of his gate. At the 815 service, someone pointed out that here is Lazarus with the dogs. And if you don't have a dog, you might find this to just be an incredibly disgusting image. But if you do love a dog, you will know that if you are hurt or wounded, your dog comes to lick your wounds to heal you because the dog knows you're in their pack. So here is this rich man not even seeing another human being 
as one with him, as part of his community, his pack, and yet the dogs are showing him compassion. And then others point out this great chasm again, that there are these two separated spheres, and you cannot get there from here. So where is the good news, and where is the hope? I think if we do just read the passage and close the book and think, well, that's pretty clear, we are resorting to, I think, the base-level worst parenting techniques of all. We might then make an extra donation in the offering plate, but only out of the threat of divine retribution, only out of the fear of hell. And I don't think that God parents us with that baseline, lowest common denominator parenting. I don't think that's the kind of God who we love and who we worship, as one who says, do this or you will burn. And so many preachers stop there. You could just take that message and threaten people and move on. I think we need to look a little farther for some good news. So there is this parable that comes out of China, and you've probably heard it before. But it goes like this. A curious man once asked to visit heaven and hell. Expecting hell to be a terrible, frightening place, he was amazed to find people seated around a lovely banquet table. The table was piled high with every delicious thing one could possibly want. The man thought, perhaps hell is not so bad after all. Looking closely, however, he noticed that everyone at the table was miserable. They were starving because although there was a mountain of food before them, they had been given three-foot-long chopsticks. There was no way to carry the food to their mouths with such long chopsticks, and so no one could eat a bite. Then the man was taken to heaven. To his surprise, he found the exact same situation as he had seen in hell. People were gathered around a banquet table piled with food. All the diners held a pair of three-foot-long chopsticks in their hands, but here in heaven, everyone was happily eating the delicious food. Do you know why? They were feeding each other. So, I love this story, but I also want to challenge it. This is a little bit quid pro quo, right? You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Everybody's seated at the same table. Everyone has the same capacity to serve and be served. But to me, I think we would need to complicate this image by adding on the Bible story. Our lives are like this. You might be very, very good at caring for the people who you consider to be in your circle. Many churches are very good at caring for those within their own walls. But the challenge is to imagine this table where everyone's feeding each other and then realize that Lazarus is still sitting outside the gate. When we form a Christian community, the challenge is to realize that there is no one who can be left outside the gate. Like, the man cared about his five brothers enough to want them to be saved. He probably took very good care of them when he was alive. But I think that this is what Jesus is calling us to is to check our assumptions about who is part of the group and who is not. So many of these stories, the parables, begin the kingdom of heaven is like, and in Luke, the kingdom of heaven touches down onto the earthly plane 
whenever we love and share. The kingdom of heaven, he says, look here or look there. The kingdom of heaven is among you whenever he sees a sign of it. So the challenge for us is to live in this way that we matter to each other, that our actions have an impact, that when we feed one another, when we care for one another, we can create heaven. So going back to your point, Julie, about that chasm, do we just walk out of here thinking that things will be fixed and set and done, there's a great chasm and no one can cross from there to here? Or do we realize that throughout the arc of the Bible story, nothing can separate us from God's love if we don't want to be separated from it? Sin and separation are our own choice. We can make ourselves miserable by turning away from love, or we can cross that chasm, that great divide, at any moment when we choose to reach out and share with one another. It just takes a shift in our perspective. And the early Christian church had given people so many opportunities for people to come together of every class, every race, and to lift up people into roles of leadership who never would have been otherwise. They created a new community of love and belonging. So friends, may we do the same. May we not close the book and think that this is the end of the story, but may we increase our compassion for those around us. May we step outside our gates to sit with those we find on the threshold. May we follow in the way of Jesus. Amen.